Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through chapter 12, down through verse 13. I want to talk to you today about, you know, we're doing our series on rediscovering worship. And today we're going to be talking about experiencing the Sabbath. Experiencing the Sabbath. And and I want you to listen to these words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. It says this, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Would you please do me a favor, and and if you write in your Bible... Would you underline those three words, learn from me? If you're writing your Bibles, I would encourage you to do that. And if you don't write in your Bibles, grab a tithe envelope, spin it around and just write those three words on it, learn from me. Write it down somewhere. I believe there is something that the Lord desires to teach us today. Look to the person next to you and say, hey, I'm still learning. Now tell them like you mean it. Tell them the truth. Say, I'm still learning. Isn't it great to be in a state? Listen to me. Isn't it great to be in a state of mind, to have the capacity to still learn, whether you are six years old or 86 years old, whether you have a sixth grade education or you have a doctorate, it is great to be in a state where you can continue to learn because those who no longer are able to learn those who either lose the capacity or just determine in their heart, what are you going to teach me? I know it all. You're not going to tell me anything new. I've been in church for this long. He's not going to tell me anything today that I haven't already heard. Those types of people are trapped in their circumstances. When you no longer are able to learn, you, you become trapped in your circumstances and your situation. Jesus says that we can come to him and we can learn from him. And when we learn from him, we will find rest for our souls. Now, if we're honest, if we would go through this room and take each of you out for a few moments and sit down together somewhere uh, or go for a drive in the car. If each of us got together in the car and we just went for a drive for an hour across the turnpike. I can guarantee you that before long, the conversation would go to some of the things that you and I need rest for our souls from. You give them enough time, you give someone a long enough time with you, and before long, we begin to open up about the things that are heavy on our hearts, the things that are concerning us, the things that are weighing in upon us. Now, from the very beginning, God established rest for his people. This is a great offer to people who are living in such a hurried world today. You know, we have cities that advertise. What's new, how, do, what is, how does New York advertise it? The, the old song, the city, that never, the city that never sleeps. We have cities that never sleep. Technology makes us available pretty much 24 hours a day, seven days a week. People can get in touch with us. Many of us work in businesses or industries that operate seven days a week, 24 hours a day. With all of these advancements in technology, you would think life would get a lot easier. But the demands seem to be more. 
Have you noticed that? The demands in life seem to get more. Things should be slowing down. Things should be getting a little easier, and yet the life seems to speed up even more and more. And we think, well, when I finally get to this point in my life, then life is going to slow down, and the kids just need to get to this age. And when they get it to that age, life speeds up even faster. Well, when the kids leave, then I'll have time. When I retire, I'll have time. Again and again, we say all of these things that are going to take place when we will have time, when life will slow down, and it never seems to slow down. And how about those of you who have responsibilities that by their very nature are never gone? You have responsibilities that by their very nature, they're never done. Don't we need rest? Well, God has a remedy. You know, in Genesis chapter 2, now keep your hands there in Matthew 11, but let's just turn real quick to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, and it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now God has something that most of you do not have It says God had finished all of his work. How many of you moms have honestly, you you have a day, you you can say, well, it's Wednesday when I finished my work or Thursday or it's Friday when I finished all my work. Most of you and many of you have jobs and responsibilities and, and things where you say, I don't ever have a day when I was able to say I finished all of my work. But God finished all of his work. There's a few things I want you to see here that God did. And to see that, we want to look at the verbs. The first thing it says, it says, he finished his work. The second thing, he rested from all of his work. And then he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Now, we know that God does not need to sleep. The Bible says he doesn't slumber nor sleep. That God does not grow tired. But in Genesis 1... Each day at the end of the day, God looked at what he said, and what did he say? It is good. Each day at the end of God's labor, at the end of his creative process, he looks at what he did, and he said it was good. On the sixth day, whenever he created man, he says something. What does he say? It's 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 a little different. What does he say? It's very good. When God looked at man, when God looked at you, when he looked at me, he said, he, you know, he looked at, if you've ever seen the waterfalls in Yosemite, if you've ever come through the tunnel in Yosemite and came through this tunnel and this beautiful valley stretched before you with huge granite rocks and waterfalls flowing down, you stand back and you are amazed at the beauty that God has created. And you look at that and it takes your breath. If you've ever looked over the Grand Canyon and you just look down in there and you're like, oh my goodness, and all the different colors and the beauty of it, you know that there's a God. And you say, wow, it's beautiful. But when God created man in his own image, God said, he said of Niagara Falls, it's good. He said of the beautiful rainforest and all the flowers, he says it's good. But out of the sky, 
and of the sun and the moon and, and all the planets in our solar system and all the stars in the universe and all the galaxies that exist. But when God looked at you and I, he said, it's very good. So God, after he creates us, then God blessed upon completing his work of creation. He ceased from his work. Then God, the Bible says this, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. This is the first time in scripture that the word holy appears. The root word means to separate, or perhaps a better understanding of it means to elevate it. That God made this day separate, or he made this day elevated above the other days. It's a separation that elevates or exalts. So here for the first time, we come across the idea of something being separated by being elevated. That is, God designed the seventh day as an exalted day, a day lifted above all other days. And God makes it holy. He declared it. He made it holy. He set it apart. One writer pointed out that there's no Sabbath law given here for Adam. Not at all. Nothing is said about this day being a day of worship. It doesn't say anything about it, about that. It doesn't prescribe anything for anyone. Remember, at this, when at creation, man was in a perfect state, a perfect sinless state. It isolated it completely to God. He completed his creation, satisfied with it. He ceased, which constitutes rest. And the third verb in verse 3 that he did, and he blessed the seventh day. One commentator wrote that God designed the seventh day, said it would be a special memorial to his creation and its original perfection. This is so important for you to understand. This is a day to be elevated above all other days as a memorial to remember the glory of God's perfection in creation. Every seventh day, from here on out would be a reminder that God in six days created the universe in perfection. I'm not sure what many of some of the backgrounds you come from. One of the challenges is whenever you speak, what background you come from, depending on the background you come from, has a large degree in determining what you hear me say. I can say the same thing to six different people. And we can all sit here in this same room and I can repeat it three times. I can say the same thing to six people. You're all sitting here listening at the same time and all six of them would hear something a little bit different. And much of that has to do with the background that they came from. Some of you here, finally, he's getting back to the old ways. Tell them about all the people who are going to hell now since Walmart is open on Sundays. And they'll say, when I was a kid, they had things called blue laws. How many of you remember the blue laws? A store could not be open on Sunday. Things shut down. Others will hear, I do not want to go back to sitting in church for a combined eight hours on Sunday. That was not a day of rest for me. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Go to church on Sunday morning. Go for Sunday school. The service would always be a good one. 
and last for another extra hour in the afternoon. Of course, mom and dad would have somebody who you didn't know or want to be around. Mom or dad would have someone, some stranger or some, you know, if you're a kid, some old person and you have to sit there and can't move. And now I understand as I get older, I understand that Sunday afternoon is a wonderful time for naps. But you know, when you're a kid and mom and dad say, no, just, just settle down and be quiet. You don't want to settle down and be quiet. For some people, they consider when you talk about this seventh day, they think, wait, are you, are you turning Jeho- uh, uh, Seventh Day Adventist on us? Wait a minute. Or they'll say they feel that it's a burden, that it's, it's something negative. It's, you know, we, we go to church from, we leave at nine in the morning, get back at two in the afternoon, visit with some people from church who we don't really know or like, and then go back in the evening for church. And that sounds like a good thing. For some people, that's their view of the Sabbath. And you notice this too. A lot of times in those days, you'd go home and you'd get a nap long enough to make people grumpy. You know those naps? It's like not a good nap. It's not a good nap that you can like really grab a hold of. It's one of those naps that lasts long enough just to make everybody in the house a little bit grumpy and angry. And so everyone's kind of like dazed and confused and kind of angry as they're yelling at you to get ready for church because we're running late. A little groggy. Well, in Jesus' days, he had numerous conflicts with Pharisees because he confronted their hypocrisy and their distortion of God's purpose and plans. According to the Mishnah, there were things that would violate the Sabbath. Writing two letters or erasing two letters. Not whole letters. Not like, dear grandmom, it's going to be great to see you. Writing two alphabetic letters will be a violation of the Sabbath. Erasing, erasing two letters would have been a violation of the Sabbath. Lighting a fire or extinguishing a fire. That would even include turning on lights or lighting a candle. Making two loops. For Jackie, when you love to sit and crochet, no, you couldn't do that on the Sabbath day. That would not be relaxing. That would be considered labor. That would be considered work. Weaving two threads or separating two threads. Tying or untying. Tying your shoes. Tying a knot would have been considered labor. It would have been work. It would have been a violation of the Sabbath. In Judaism, the seventh day is called Shabbat. It starts on Friday evening. Ours starts, you know, when I think, when you think of the next, of the day, I think of 5.30 in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning. Your day starts in the morning. But for the Jewish, the Sabbath started in the evening. It went from sunset to sunset the next evening. Christians have traditionally worshipped on the first day of the week since it was the day that Jesus rose from the grave. So we're not trying to get all legalistic about when we talk to you about the Sabbath, we've we got some more stuff for you. Now let's go back to our original text and let's start at chapter 12, verse 1. After Jesus says, come unto me all you're weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And he has this encounter with the Pharisees concerning the Sabbath day. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, They said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? 
He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priest. Or haven't you read in the law that the priest on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and are innocent? So do you hear that? Says David goes, him and his partners are hungry. He eats the consecrated bread. The priest, by their very ministry, are violating the Sabbath rules. Desecrated Sabbath. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he says, If any of you has a sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take a hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored. Excuse me, just as, the, as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill him. Isn't that crazy? He heals a guy whose hand shriveled, who's handicapped. All of his life has been hindered by this. And in one instant, Jesus heals him. And a bunch of religious people are getting all up in his face about it. They get so upset with him. They're not just talking about him. They want to kill him. Isn't it ironic that the Pharisees look for a way to kill Jesus because he violated their traditions and did good by healing on the Sabbath? And there's many scriptures that we could talk about today concerning the Sabbath. We don't have time to cover them. We know it's one of the Ten Commandments. We know that in Exodus 31, the Israelites were told to observe the Sabbath as a perpetual covenant. But I want to focus your attention upon a couple of verses found in Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 21 says this. This is what the Lord says. Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. Do not bring a a load out of your house or do any work on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your ancestors. The Israel had gotten to a point where every Sabbath, long lines of animals, mules and donkeys and camels and wagons, little trailers, paraded in and out of Jerusalem carrying merchandise for the purpose of commerce. This practice was so common that the Sabbath soon became identified with burden bearing. And I want you to picture, do you ever see those ones like from South America where they'll have a little donkey? Did you ever see that, that thing like on the internet? That little donkey it has this huge wagon full of stuff and the wagon back and lifted the little donkey up. Have you ever seen that picture? Go on and Google and Google that and you'll find pictures of heavy loads and burdens upon these little beasts and these these horses and donkeys. And, and that's the image that we have. God's prophet was broken hearted at the sight. Hordes of buyers and sellers herding their heavily burdened beasts came and went 
and total disregard to God's commandments. People who lived in the city left their homes and would go shopping. Then they'd come back carrying a big heavy burden and carrying a big load back of goods back to their house. The rural people entered the city, gates carrying their crafts and their fruits and their vegetables and the things that they were to sell to market. All of God's children were carrying heavy burdens. I want you to hear that. All of God's children were carrying heavy burdens on their backs on the Lord's Sabbath. As Jeremiah watched this scene one Sabbath, the Spirit of the Lord moved upon him powerfully. And suddenly the prophet stops traffic. And with a loud voice, he yelled, Stop it! What you're doing isn't right. It's not what God intended for this day. May I suggest to you today that there's a lot of people who come into churches across America on the Sabbath day, that if you could see the burdens they were carrying, if you could see the weights that are on their back, if you had any idea of the pressure upon them, it would blow your mind. If you understood all of the cares and all the concerns and and all of the fears and the worries, they're carrying things that God never intended for them to carry on the Sabbath, for any other day for that matter. Psalms 55 verse 22 says this, cast all your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. In Exodus chapter 34 verse 21, it says this, six days shall you labor, but on the seventh you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest You, what does it say? You must rest. Even during the most hectic, busy seasons, when people would say, well, wait a minute, you should, you just got to push a little harder. We got all this plowing to get done. We got this harvest to bring in. You got to push a little harder. It says, even during the most hectic seasons of your life, six days you can labor. But on the seventh, You must rest. It says you must rest. I believe the Sabbath is a spiritual principle, much like tithing is. You know, when I write my check, and I made sure I did it this week because I've been out for a while. When I write my tithe check and place it in the offering, it's an act of worship. It's an act of worship. I do mine once a month. It's just the way I do it. You know, however you do yours, it's fine. I do mine once a month because I also have to tithe to our district and to our general council. I give them. But when I write that check and place it in the offering plate, it is a part of my worship to God. As I tithe, I acknowledge that God is my source, that he is my provider. When you write out that tithe check, it's not just, you're not get, just giving money to the church. You're not giving money to the building fund. You're not giving money to the pastor or to the staff. You are acknowledging who God is, that he is my provider. And here's what else you're doing. Whenever you offer your tithe, by writing out that check each month, I'm saying that I believe God can do more with 90% than what I can do with 100%. I'm also inviting him in. What I'm saying is this. I believe that his resources, which I cannot see. And you know, sometimes 
For some people, sometimes it's hard whenever I got bills. I got credit card bills that are coming. I got expenses that are coming in. And I said, you know, I purposely said, I want to get my tithe check in because I believe this. I believe that the resources that God has that I cannot see are greater than the needs that I have and the responsibilities that I have that are right in front of me. This is a really a big important part because it says what you believe about God. It's not, it's not just about your money. It's not just about Sabbath. It's what you believe about God. When I give my tithe, what I'm saying is, God, I believe that what you have that I can't see is greater than, the, than these things, these bills that are in front of me. And the same principle applies spiritually to the Sabbath. I believe that some of you need to hear that as you honor the Lord by ceasing from your labor. Well, wait a minute, Pastor, can I, um, can we play flag football on Sunday? Like, I don't, you know, whatever you want to do. You want to play flag football? Pastor, when I grew up, you know, we couldn't eat out on Sunday. We're not going to get into the, the foolishness of that. What the Mishnah did was it, uh, different leaders, my understanding is different rabbis that would write what they thought about it. And so everybody would add their commentary to it. This is the teachings. Well, Pastor Richie says it's okay to eat at fast food restaurants. This is what church people will do. Church people will say it's okay to eat at fast food restaurants, but don't go down to a sit-down meal. You know, people are goofy. You know what I mean? They're goofy. Some of you need to hear that as you honor the Lord by ceasing from your labor, he will take care of you. Why? Because your ceasing from your labor is an act of worship inspired by God. I take off of my eyes off of my work. I take my eyes off of the need. I take my eyes of, off of all that remains undone And I focus on all that Jesus did in six days. It's an act of faith that honors the Lord. Some of you parents, seven days a week, you're worrying about your kids. Some of you with situations on your job, some of you are seven days a week, you're worrying about your job. Some of you financially, seven days a week, you're worrying about your finances. And I want to encourage you to cast your cares upon the Lord. Because he cares for you. I believe this. I believe that as I tithe, that God will stretch what I have and he will meet my needs. He knows what I need before I ask. And so he will provide. The same thing is true with all of the responsibilities that you have on your job. All the work that you have to do. As you set aside a day that God, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to let those things go and I'm going to cease. Stop. No, well, I, I have to pay this bill. I have to finish this job. No, today's a day. God's going to take care of that one. Can you imagine how much more refreshed and energized you and I would be? Do you realize this, that they did that, then they had these other festivals throughout the year where they stopped? And every seventh year, what did they do with the ground? They let it rest. Imagine like every seven years having a year off. How would you possibly do that? How could it possibly be if we don't work 51 weeks a year, how can we possibly have our needs met? Well, as long as God's on the scene, you can. And so 
What we find here is there's this rest for people's soul and you need to hear that God wants to bring rest to you. He wants to take care of your burdens. He wants to take care of your needs. He wants to care for you. And some of you, it's an act of worship when you trust that day to God. So I'm not saying you got to sleep in till 10 or I'm not telling you the logistics of it. But when you entrust the day, when you cease from your labors and you say, God, you take care of this one today. I'll check back in with you on Monday morning or whatever day because of your work is your Sabbath. Now, Sabbath is not just a physical rest from the burdens of life. There's another rest that's offered to us. You see, on an afternoon right before Sabbath, another member of the Godhead lifted his head and looked around at the work he had accomplished on that cruel and ugly cross. And according to John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus Christ uttered these three words. It is finished. In one declaration, Jesus said what you and I so desperately need to hear. It is finished. What does that mean? That means that the price that is required for redemption was paid by Jesus Christ in full. That means that all the guilt and all the shame and all the remorse and all the punishment associated with sin was heaped upon Jesus Christ so that you and I could go free. I say hallelujah. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for completing that work upon the cross. But for you to receive it, you and I have to cease from our labors and from our striving and rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have to trust that as we rest, the Holy Spirit is at work within us. He says that you'll find rest for your soul. Hebrews talks about entering into this rest that God has for us. What does that mean? That means that the struggling that some of you are carrying, Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. This idea of you ever measuring up or being good enough or getting your ducks in line enough, Jesus paid it all for you. And the only way that you can experience eternal life is by ceasing from your laboring and accepting what he did. I wonder for some of us, if we would learn to rest in the grace of God, how some of the habits that we struggle with would begin to fall off when you just learn to rest in the grace of God. God, you know, you know my heart. Satan cannot say anything against, I trust in the grace of Jesus. Some of you struggle spiritually on a weekly basis and you come into church and we're burdened down with our, man, I messed up this week. I, ah, Lord, are you you gonna accept me, Lord? Oh, should I keep trying? Should I keep going? I've made so many mistakes. I've made so many blunders. You can't out-argue the enemy. But I can tell you something he can't argue with. I can tell you something he doesn't have a word against. That I trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. You're a thief. You're a liar. You're this. You're that. That may be true. But I trust. I put all my trust in what Jesus Christ did for me. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's what Sabbath is about. That his righteousness, that he's working for you when you're doing nothing. 
When you're resting, he's at work. With your finances, whenever you're trusting what he's looking for, Sabbath is really a lot about faith. Resting in the Lord, trusting in the Lord. It's not about just, well, you can't go out and have dinner or you can't play softball or you can't mow your lawn on Sabbath. Sabbath is about, will you trust that God who has power that you can't see will take care of you and your needs while you rest? Will you trust that God who paid the complete price for your sins will be more than enough. So whenever you come into sanctuary, you set aside this time to come to worship on Sunday. Will you trust that what Jesus did is more than enough to cover for all of your errors and your blunders? I don't know anything better that we can trust in. When I went to church, we were on vacation, I went to church, you know, I wanted, no, no offense. I didn't want to hear like a special person coming in talking about the boys' choir or the girls' choir or, or we're building something. I wanted to hear the pastor, give me words of life. Give me the words. Tell me about, don't tell me about me. Tell me about Jesus. Tell me about what he's done for me. Tell me about his power. Tell me about his strength. Tell me about his love. Tell me about his grace. I desperately need that. And I wanted to connect with God whenever we worshiped. I was disappointed sometimes. Sometimes I was pleasantly surprised. Wow, Lord, that was so good. But I want to tell you this, the Jesus that we serve wants to take some people's burdens today. And and somehow we need to have a way in which we respond to him in this moment. We need to have a way in which we respond to him. Some of you may need to get right with God. Here's the thing, it doesn't mean that, oh, I'm a terrible sinner. Oh, we all are. I already know that. I already know that about you. I know that about you, about you, about you, about you, about you, about you, about me, 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 me. We're all terrible sinners. But thank God for the blood of Jesus. But here's the thing. When God looks at us, he says that we're better, that we're greater, that when he created us, we're very good. I'm like I said, I'm looking at Yosemite saying, wow, beautiful. Grand Canyon, wow, beautiful. I didn't go there if you're thinking that, no. Wow, beautiful. And God looks at us and he says, wow, beautiful. As we close, this is what I want to encourage you to do. We're going to open up our altars and to all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, all who are burdened down with either the cares of this life and the responsibilities of this world. There's an invitation today from Jesus. And this is what he says. Come unto me, all you're weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You'll find rest for your soul. He says, learn of me. My yoke is easy and burden is light. Now, this is what I believe. I believe it as we step out. I believe that some of you will leave some burdens here. But this is not just for today. This is a new way of thinking for us. That every day when I get up, every day when I get up, I'm going to trust completely in his grace. That when I get up here today, when I come here into the sanctuary on this seventh, for us, this Sabbath day, this day that God has set as holy, I'm going to let him take care of my burdens. I'm going to let him worry about my finances. I'm going to let him worry about my marriage. I'm going to let him worry about my kids. Today, I'm just going to receive from him. And I'm going to give him, by trusting in him, I'm giving him worship. 
by trusting in what he's done. So as we open up our altars, I just want to pray for you. Lord Jesus, I pray right now for your people. I pray that as an act of worship, just like when we sing and we raise our hands and when we clap our hands and when we shout with our voices, as an act of worship today, I'm going to step out of my pew in a few moments and I'm going to come and I'm going to kneel before an altar and symbolically, I'm going to shift off the burdens I'm carrying today and I'm going to leave them there and I'm going to let you give me what it is that I need to carry today. I'm going to cease from my labors and I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. In the name of Jesus.